And the text for tonight's message is Luke 2. If you have a Bible, please turn there, Luke 2, and we'll be studying verses 8 through to 20. The interaction between the shepherds and the angels, Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through to 20. I'll read the text and then we'll ask for the Lord's blessing on our time together in his word. Luke 2 verse 8 and following, and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Thus reads the word of the Lord. Let's ask his blessing on our time together. Father, we're grateful for this Christmas narrative. We're thankful that it was recorded and we can read it today. That can edify us and give us eyes of faith. And so we do pray to that end. Bless our time around your word this evening. Help us to see afresh the wonder of what you were doing that night in Bethlehem. Prompt us to worship Christ as our Savior. We ask in his name. Amen. Christmas is often a time of paradox. It's often a time of year when things get brought together that otherwise don't belong side by side. Things often happen at Christmas that don't happen at any other time in the year. And because of the nature of this season, they're accepted. I think about the Christmas day during the Great War when the Germans and the Allies put down their weapons. They wandered into no man's land and they played soccer on Christmas Day. Best of friends for one day. The next day, they picked up their weapons and they were back at war. There's another paradox that occurs every single Christmas the whole world over, and that is a spiritual paradox. I'm thinking about the millions of people that on some level embrace Christmas. 
millions of people the world over every single year on some level to some degree are willing to embrace something of this season. They sing hymns. They don't object to Jesus being mentioned in their home. They willingly give and receive gifts, and yet all the while they remain enemies of God. It's a paradox. Those things don't belong together, and yet the Christmas season covers up just how much of a juxtaposition is really happening. Now, that spiritual paradox pertains to unbelievers, certainly. But there is a sense in which Christians can enter into something akin to that. What I mean is it is very easy for Christians at this time of year to fall into established patterns, traditions, to do what other people do and what is found to be right and not truly worship the Lord Jesus. To not really take advantage of this season and worship him for what God did, sending his son to save sinners. The question we might ask is how do we avoid behaving to some degree like the world? How do we ensure that our Christmas truly is a time of worship for us, recentering our hearts on the message of the baby in a manger? Luke helps us. There are two infancy narratives in the New Testament. One is in Matthew, and Lord willing, in a few weeks, we're going to be working through it. The other one is in Luke. And Luke's infancy narrative is a narrative which is full of paradoxes. The way that Luke records for us what happened in Bethlehem that night is in such a way so as to bring together lots of things that otherwise don't belong together. And when you see them for what they are, they should prompt your heart to worship. So in just this one section this evening, I want to point out four paradoxes. They all begin with P. That's my gift to you this evening. (laughs) It's not my custom. I don't try to make that happen. Sometimes it does. Four paradoxes that should prompt us to worship Christ at Christmas. The first one is what I've called a paradox of presence. Verses 8 and 9, in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night, and an angel of the Lord appeared to them. It should be said that a shepherd in ancient times was a very lowly vocation. We don't center on this idea often enough, but to be a shepherd in the ancient world was to be of very, very low esteem in the community. These men would not have been well respected because of their job. Even just consider the fact that as these men are out in the field, the rest of the community are in their houses keeping warm. They're enjoying a relaxing evening while these men are in the field in order to keep animals safe. People don't give that kind of job description a lot of respect. 
These men would have constantly been with the sheep all the time. By consequence, they would have smelt of the animals. They would have appeared covered in dirt and the field that they had been working in. As they went into the local town, they certainly didn't have people flocking to them to spend time with them. And I say all of that to draw out the paradox that the angel of the Lord appeared to them. The angel of the Lord did not show up before the king. The angel of the Lord didn't appear before Caesar Augustus, verse 1 of chapter 2. The angel of the Lord showed up before the shepherds. There's the paradox right there. That's God's wisdom. But we can actually push it a little bit further. Because it is not merely that the angel of the Lord shows up to the shepherds of all people. But it seems like there's something more going on. If we consider how it is that Luke presents to us the angel of the Lord, we see that this paradox foreshadows an even greater one. Look at verse 9. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the angel shone around. That's not what Luke writes. It is not the glory of the angel that shone around them, but the glory of the Lord himself. This angel brings with him the glory of the Lord. Turn over and see how the shepherds say in verse 15, let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made do to us. Now just think about that. The angel is the messenger. They've heard a message from the angel, and yet the shepherds understand enough to say, the Lord made this thing known. Meaning, the shepherds understand that the angel of the Lord is God's representative. And there is an immediate paradox with the angel showing up to the, to the lowly shepherds. But it seems to foreshadow an even greater paradox, the paradox of Christmas, which is God himself showing up to sinful man. This is the wonder of Christmas. We refer to it as the doctrine of the incarnation, that God himself would show up. That God himself would break into this sin-cursed world and be pleased to dwell amongst us. This is what sets into motion the whole gospel narrative. And the wonder of it comes as we consider the fact that God was not bound to save us. He was not bound to save us. Moreover, he was not bound to save us by sending his only son to be amongst us. That Jesus himself would leave the glory of heaven so as to be amongst sinful man. That that was God's rescue plan. That was the plan that God came up with by which we are saved. And so as we consider the baby in a manger, we must always remember that what we see is God himself. This is God himself initiating his rescue plan for humanity. 
The second paradox is a paradox of purpose. Verses 10 through 12, the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. So the angel brings good news to the people. The angel says as much. He then makes an announcement and he says essentially three things concerning the one who is to come. The angel says first, he will be a savior. Second, he is the Christ. Third, the Lord. He is a savior who is Christ the Lord. All three of those names would have meant something to these shepherds. To those folks who were living in Bethlehem at that time who had the Old Testament scriptures, all three of these terms were highly significant. The first, the announcement of a savior, would have meant to them predominantly a military victor. A man of military might who would bring God's people Israel to freedom. They're expecting somebody to come and fight a battle for them that would secure their freedom from all oppression. The Christ is the Messiah. The Old Testament expectation of a Messiah was of a king. Messiah simply means anointed. And within the Old Testament, there were various offices that received an anointing, but by the time you get to the reign of David, it had been narrowed down to almost exclusively the office of a king. So whenever you speak to these folks about the expectation of an anointed one, a Messiah, the Christ, they anticipate that a king is coming. So they're expecting a military ruler who will be a king, and then the angel says, the Lord. The Lord, simply a term communicating authority. He would act in an authoritative way, quite possibly understood as an authority that is derived from God himself. So the angel's announcement, you can see, would have been very much good news to these men. This is the Old Testament expectation coming to fruition, They were all reaching forward and looking for the day when the Savior would come. They were all poised, waiting for the arrival of the Messiah. And they understood that when he came, he would indeed be a Lord to them. The paradox comes in the next sentence. He says, the sign that he's arrived will be that you find a baby. Now Luke's narrative is... Is fairly sparse on details. At least as I sit and ponder it, I find myself wanting more information. I just wonder if when the, when the angel had said that, the shepherds had maybe pushed back or if they had dared to question. Hang on, Mr. Angel. You just said a Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord. That's what you just told us. So how can it be a baby? 
or if maybe they're just spoken amongst themselves. Did we just hear the announcement correctly? Because I thought he said an angel, uh, the, the Messiah, who is a savior, who is the Lord. And then I thought he said that it would be a, ba- a baby in a feeding trough. But that's exactly what the angel said. And the paradox is not merely that the baby shows up as the Savior, Christ, Lord, but again that his showing up as an infant foreshadows something of the nature of his ministry. Consider, God could have sent Jesus as a man. He could have arrived as a man, dressed as a king, in royal robes. It would have been evident for everyone to see, here's the Messiah. He is our Savior. He is our Lord. God could easily have sent Christ in that way. And yet in God's wisdom, he sends it as a baby in Bethlehem, clothed in cloth in a manger. So why does he do that? In part, it is to foreshadow something of the nature of his ministry. He is the Savior who is the Christ, the Lord. All of those things are true of him. But as we will go on to see, this baby will grow up living on earth in a lowly manner and ultimately dying on a cross. You see, it was fitting for Jesus to come as a baby, the most vulnerable in all of society, of no stature, of no position when he arrived as an infant because the rest of his ministry would be lived out as a servant to all. It would not have worked within the economy of the gospel for God to send Jesus as a fully-fledged king. Now make no mistake, Jesus is coming back. And when he comes back, he will be a king. And all will see him as such. But at the moment of his first coming, it was important for him to come as a baby. To point the way, albeit very subtly, that he would be a servant to all who would ultimately die on a cross. As I was thinking about this just this afternoon, I thought of how for all of our six children, one of my abiding memories of the day they were born was of their hands. Laura had this gift of looking at their hands, and and on day one, she would say, he's got your hands, or this one has my hands, and it turned out to be true. And I just couldn't see it. It's a baby's hand to me. But I remember those small hands, and they're still curled up when they come out, and you can slide your finger in and they grip your finger and the skin is so fleshy and and bouncy and Jesus' hands would have been exactly the same. The problem is at Christmas, we can lose sight of what those hands were to become. Jesus' hands were to have nails driven through them. Jesus' hands would one day be pinned to a cross to make a payment for our sins. 
and his coming as a baby speaks of that reality. The third paradox is a paradox of praise. Verse 13 and 14, suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. It's actually quite difficult today to find a Christmas card that has a biblical verse in it. I think in previous years you could have found at least a selection, and today it's very, very difficult. But if you do manage to find a Christmas card that has Scripture inside, most likely, my guess is, it will be verse 14 of Luke chapter 2. Now, with that being said, my guess is, most likely, it would be a very shortened, curtailed version of that verse. What you can find still today within some Christmas cards is the simple message, peace on earth amongst men. It is grossly taken out of context. When all you say is peace on earth amongst men, you lose the gospel. You see, the gospel is in this verse. You just have to consider the paradox that it presents to us. The multitude sing, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace amongst those with whom he is pleased. Now, here's the problem. In Exodus 33, God makes manifest his glory and Moses has to hide his face. In Isaiah chapter 6, the prophet sees the glory of the Lord and he responds and says, I am undone. In Ezekiel chapter 1, he sees the glory of the Lord and he falls down on his face like a dead man. And exactly the same response in Revelation chapter 1 from the Apostle John. The biblical testimony is that when the glory of the Lord is made manifest, it doesn't go well for mankind. So how can it be that the angels sing, glory to God in the highest, in the highest there, meaning the the utmost glory that can possibly be ascribed to God, that degree of glory... While at the same time, there is peace on earth amongst men. How can they say that? And perhaps you say, well, the answer is because it doesn't say amongst men, but more specifically amongst those with whom he is pleased. But there again is the problem. There are none with whom God is pleased. Apart from the gospel, there are none with whom God is pleased. Can you see how even at this early stage in Luke's gospel, he is pointing towards a taking in of the bigger picture? Even at this early stage, he wants us to start to consider the theology of this story. This narrative tells us of how it is that man can be made right with God. There are no men with whom God is pleased, period, apart from the saving gospel of Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in Christ, now there are men and women and children whom God delights in. Now there are millions of people the whole world over whom God celebrates every single day. 
when you put your faith in this infant as a savior, now there are men of whom it could be said that God delights. A more literal translation of verse 13 would be peace amongst those of his good pleasure or even of his approval. Peace amongst those that he approves of. He doesn't approve of any of us by virtue of our efforts. But he approves exceedingly in all of us by virtue of our faith in Christ. This is the gospel. And is this that we must bring to mind as we celebrate this infant in a manger? Finally, a paradox of proclamation. Verse 15, the angels go into heaven. The shepherds are now racing to go and see what has been made known to them. And sure enough, they find Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. And then we read in verse 17, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. Luke then records for us three responses. In verse 18, all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. There's the first response. It is not in any way suggesting that all who heard it had faith in Christ. But simply, as it tells us, they wondered. They were astonished, amazed at this saying. The second response, verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. The third response, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. So three responses, and I just wonder whether Luke is perhaps holding out to us Mary as the foremost example to imitate. Now, I'm not by any means saying that the shepherds did a bad thing. And certainly, we should follow their example, telling others, praising and glorifying God for the miracle of the virgin birth at Christmas. But it's curious that Mary, who knew the most, said the least. She had had most revealed to her more than the shepherds just had in the field that night. Mary knew the most, and yet she said the least. The paradox of proclamation belongs to Mary. And I wonder, as Luke puts her in the center of the three responses, whether maybe he's just commending us to consider that response. Again, certainly it's not wrong And we should be eager to tell others of the wonder of Christmas. It's right to praise and glorify God. But we should be soberly contemplating, just as Mary did, all these things that have been made known to us. Christmas is such a busy time of year. Such a fun and exciting time of year. There's so much going on. And the risk for the Christian is that we never stop and pause and think afresh upon the wonder of Christmas so as to worship the Lord Jesus as a Savior.
Let's pray to that end. Father, we are so grateful for your plan of redemption for us that you would send Jesus into the world, that he would willingly leave the heights of heaven to live amongst sinful man, entering into the world as a baby, the most vulnerable of all of society, this infant. This was your plan. And in it we see foreshadows of the gospel. We start to see what it is that you would accomplish through him. We praise you for that plan. We praise you that this infant grew up to be a man to die on the cross for our sin. And we do ask, Lord, especially at this busy, fun, and exciting time of year, you would guard us against the mistake of rushing through everything and never stopping to pause, to meditate upon the wonder of this baby in a manger and all that it would mean for us. Help us to imitate Mary and to contemplate these things in our heart. I do pray that our Christmas would be full of worship, that you would get all of the praise and the glory for the gospel of our salvation that comes through Jesus Christ, our Lord.